This is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and the fourth Sunday of Easter is called Good Shepherd Sunday because every year on Easter we read the story in John's Gospel, or Jesus is saying in John's Gospel, uh, about him being the Good Shepherd. Um, and so it affords the opportunity to preach about that. I also have a f- fondness for this gospel in a way because this was the pericope, which is a fancy word. Uh, the, what we read was uh, what my assignment in my Greek class I had to translate into English. And you need to know that I made an absolute pig's breakfast out of it. <laughs> and so when my New Testament professor, O.C. Edwards, read my translation, he said, "Uh, you are going to be taking Greek next semester, aren't you, Mr. Brewer? I said, oh, yes, I am. I will will do it. They They assign John's gospel for translators who are beginners in Greek because John's Greek is not too good, and it's clear that it wasn't his first language. So it's easy, easier. I mean, if they gave you something from Luke's gospel, you'd be up to your neck before you knew what you were doing. Or even Paul, which is uh, hard. So that's why they do it. And I still didn't do a very good job. I was very fortunate, though, that um, when I uh, was in my last year, I didn't have to take a diocesan ordination examination because that had ended. And we were taking now something called the general ordination examination, which is sort of like the bar exam, only it was for the whole Episcopal Church. And I was very grateful for that because there were people in the Diocese of California who were perfectly capable of you coming in to be examined and sitting down and opening the Greek New Testament and say, read to me in English, right? So I didn't have to do that in the GOE, and I was grateful. The earliest depictions of Jesus in Christian art are Jesus as the Good Shepherd, So if any of you have traveled to Italy, for example, and gone to Ravenna and seen the mosaics at San Vitale and some of the other places, you will see Jesus with the lamb around his neck. And it was a very, very popular and common depiction of Jesus as the good shepherd. You know, it's very interesting because uh, Christians have transformed that image as one of loving pastoral care as the shepherd cares for the sheep, which is true. But in the ancient Near East, in the time of Jesus, shepherds were not highly regarded. They were not thought well of at all. I remember that continues. I was a cowboy for two summers in California, up near Bridgeport on a cattle ranch. And we were driving some cattle over the hill into Nevada. And we stopped to eat lunch. And we were eating lunch in the forested part of this of the mountain. Uh, and we sat down to eat. And across the river, narrow river, was a Basque shepherd with sheep, right? I thought it was a, a beautiful scene. But some of the hardcore cowboys said, had no use for this. Sheep and what was going on. And the shepherd... So maybe it's carried over even down to the present day. 
The first depiction we know of, or one of them, of Jesus crucified dates from the 5th century. And when I was in seminary, I was on a scholarship with 20 other seminarians in Rome, and we stayed at a pensione right across the street from Santa Sabina Church, which is a 4th century church, and the do- on the door of Santa Sabina, huge doors, is a panel about like this, and it's the first uh, depiction of Jesus being crucified that we know about. Uh, I stayed also right next to Santa Sabina is the circuit, you know, where Charlton Heston went around and Ben Hur in the chariot. Right across, it was right across the street. So we stayed in the Pansioni there. Clivo di Publici numero due. I still remember. So let me say some things to you about two passages. One from the book of Acts that we read, Peter's speaking, and then from John's gospel. And let me read them to you in advance. There is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. That's Peter in Acts. And I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's from the gospel we just heard. And we also heard in in 1 John uh, about the necessity of accepting Jesus, but also to love one another. The universal commandment to love one another and how important that is. The book of Acts was written by our patron, Luke. It's volume two of the gospel according to St. Luke. There are some biblical scholars who believe that there was a volume three, but we don't have it. We don't know whether there was a volume three. Why would they think that? Because the book of Acts ends very abruptly. Paul in Rome. Over. Right? We don't know. So they thought they think maybe there's something else and we're kind of like this, waiting to see what happens. So Luke had some things in mind that I'm going to read you. You may only get 10% of this. But here are the aims Oh, let me say this first. I've said it in the other sermon. Uh, Three or four months ago, I read a a book. It's not the only one I've ever read, but I read a book. (laughs) Uh, By a man named John Walton, and he teaches Old Testament at Wheaton College in Illinois. And so what I'm going to say now comes from someone that is no wild-eyed liberal. Wheaton College is one of the centers, actually, of a responsible and credible evangelicalism, although I don't agree with uh, most many of the people who teach there or who go there. Billy Graham was a student at Wheaton College, and you know, you, you, you think I'm going to surprise you when I say this, but my own personal view is that Billy Graham is the real deal. He's the real deal. You don't have to agree with him. I don't agree with him, but he is the real McCoy in terms of who he is and what he's done. He went to Wheaton College. 
So John Walton is an Old Testament professor, and he wrote a book about the first two chapters of Genesis, the creation stories. I've spoken about this before, but the most important thing that he said in the book, and there's a YouTube video where he speaks about this, is this. We believe that the Bible was written for us. But the Bible was not written to us. The Bible was written by different people who lived in a different age, who had different customs, different cultures, and did not speak English. In fact, there was no English, right? No English. So we have to understand, whenever we come to the biblical text, that's a first principle that we need to understand. That's why you hear me do all this quoting that may drive some of you nuts about the original languages. You know, I don't know them anywhere near as well as I would like to. Maybe in my retirement, that's one of the things I'm going to do, is to uh, bone up on Greek and Hebrew. So he speaks about this, and we need to know that too in the book of Acts, because when Peter speaks of salvation, he uses the Greek word sophonai, which means to be saved, healed, or made whole. And in the Hebrew Bible, the word that's used it means the same thing. In Hebrew. So think about your own salvation, how you participate in that, and as you seek in your own life and in your own emotional, spiritual, and mental states to live a life congruent with God's purposes for you. How do you do that? So Luke in Acts wants to say he wants to defend Christianity against the charge of political subversion. He wants to demonstrate the essential unity of the church in its worldwide mission. He wants to vindicate the part played by Paul. I said at 9 o'clock, which is true, to me, Paul, in terms of a fairly contemporary image, uh, comes from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And Butch Cassidy and Sundance are running away from the law. And there is a federal marshal that they simply cannot shake. And he wears a boater hat. He wears a skimmer, straw hat. And so they're running away, and they get way up on the top of a mountain, looking down onto the plain. And here this posse is with this guy with the boater hat. And... Butch Cassidy says, who the hell is that guy? That's what Jerusalem thought about Paul. Right? So Luke is at pains to smooth over the differences that existed between Paul's testimony about his conversion and what he did and how the Jerusalem church understands Paul. And so they're at pains to do this 
because by then they want to demonstrate that what Paul has done is consistent with the gospel of Christ. It's his version based on his own experience personally. And then Luke wants to give a picture of Christian, how, what Christianity is and how the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Rome. And in this part, he is concerned about reinforcing what he has reinforced in his gospel. And in Luke's gospel, we have more healing stories than any other gospel because he was a doctor. And we have more on the necessity of economic justice and equity in the culture, in the society, that it's very, very important. And the generous impulse is part of a mature spiritual life. And he wishes to uh, assert that in his gospel and in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, you remember the story a couple of weeks ago I mentioned where some people refer to it as the primitive communism of the early Christian church. Oh, no. You don't want to say that. Right? So here's those who say, oh, brother, we're not going to have that, or I don't agree. There's absolutely no evidence that other Christian communities live the way that is described in the book of Acts. Some did, and some had other ways of handling their resources. But all of them were concerned about the way you and me handle our stuff. And so that's something that always is a part of how we understand our own spiritual journey. What do we do with our stuff? And how do we, you know, we're not going to have renunciation of all stuff tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And anyway, there's an economic conundrum in all of this because if we renounce all the stuff, who's going to buy it and who's going to get employed to make it? So we have a big thing to think about, don't we? We've got some sort of a big rethink if we want to live lives consistent with what the Bible says about the way in which people ought to live. It's a tough one. I think it's a tough one. So in this idea, Jesus is speaking about the importance of God's saving work in Christ. And so a lot of the kerfuffles in the Episcopal Church and in other parts of Christianity uh, include the idea that some say, Jesus, you have to accept Jesus because he is the only Savior. He is the only Savior. And so that means that our message needs to go to everybody and they need to be told that. And more to the point, their post-mortem bliss is in jeopardy if they don't. Right? So here's David Brewer's testimony to you. For me, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the unique focus of the divine presence. Because of that conviction, I wish to commend that to other people on their spiritual journey. And I think it's appropriate and proper for Christian people to do that. But all of us need to exercise care about the way in which that takes place. And we have often been very careless indeed. Very careless indeed. Here's what Dr. John McQuarrie, who is uh, the late Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford, says about all this. I would have to say 
that the word unique is not helpful in discussing the place of Jesus Christ. Not only Jesus Christ, but every person is unique, and therefore so is Muhammad, and so is Gautama Buddha. In place of the words rejected, unique, final, absolute, I shall use the expression definitive for Jesus Christ as understood in Christian faith. He is definitive in the sense that for Christians, he defines in normative fashion both the nature of humanity, which he has brought to a new level, and the nature of God, for the divine word, expressive being, has found its fullest expression in him. When Dr. McQuarrie speaks of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he uses the term for Father as primordial being, for Jesus, expressive being, and for the Spirit, unitive being, as the essential parts of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer, however you wish to uh, speak of it in that, in that fashion. So Macquarie says we should be careful. Let me just say, though, a commercial message about this. Uh, I believe we can say that each one of us is unique. I would prefer the word special. And the reason I say that is that a lot of people uh, who believe that are uh, not corrigible. Everybody in the eyes of God is special, but nobody in one sense is unique. And when we get into difficulty and we run up against troubles and difficulties, some of our own making, uh, we believe that we're unique. And so the problems that I'm going through are unique to me and they're different than somebody else's. And so we need to spend more time on what the similarities are and not the differences. That's important. So, Peter is speaking about Jesus in his understanding of this because he wants to assert this for one reason that Luke is concerned to say we're talking about a new, a new vision of humanity. And that means Jews and Gentiles are going to get together and they're going to be in one body and other faith traditions. We're all going to be one. And this is encapsulated in the statement in John's Gospel, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So it's a commercial message from John about the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? To restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. Page 855 of the Book of Common Prayer. And so each one of us are to be missionaries. We're to be reconcilers. We're to be people that are open to one another, to listen to our stories and to be able to understand also that people who come from this at a different angle might have something to offer. And we say yes to that. And the transformative nature of understanding what Jesus says produces what First John says. This receives practical support. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Because that concretizes 
or I heard a preacher once say, tangibilizes the gospel when we do that. And so the readings today have given us some great sweep of the history of salvation. So this week, remember that you're part of God's saving work. God can't do it without you. Amen.